0: Hello y'all we welcome you to another episode of the Cosmic Matrix podcast once again with your hosts myself Bernhard Gunther and my wife Laura Matsu. and the topic of this episode will be what facing evil can teach you. Now this is a big one and very important this day and age because obviously we see many of us see the increase of evil in the world and it can be Very overwhelming, in fact, is very overwhelming for a lot of people, especially what we've gone through over the past three years and or longer at this point. So we cannot ignore or avoid the darkness and evil in the world or even within our own lives anymore. Uh, We've also seen that a lot of people are, quote-unquote, black-pilled in this day and age, right, because of the nonstop psyops over the past four years and the mass trauma we've been through. You know, we're dealing with a global matrix trauma installment programs so to speak and uh, well, the, what is the essence of being blackpilled well it basically means that people believe that evil will win it's very negative nihilistic no hope stuck in fear even cynicism and they can't e- even see the light at all so everything becomes a psyop there's traps everywhere and uh, you know have become very very blackpilled in the true meaning of the word In the sense, they are also taken over by wetico, which is a topic we'll be covering as well. So on the first hour, we'll dive deeper into the different types of evil, really defining evil from different traditions, different teachings, and what insights they have given us, be it the Luciferian, Aramanic evil, Steiner's work, Sri Aurobindo's work, and also from a psychological perspective, how narcissism feeds a specific type of evil. And also, obviously, why we need to face evil and how we can use evil as a teaching function. That's really the core aspect of this podcast. Now, in the second hour, then, which is only for members of um, VeilOfReality.com, my website, the membership, we go deeper into the WETICO, the alien virus, occult, hostile forces, the dark um, aspects of, or the dark forces that have overtaken humanity and worked through humanity how evil is also related to childhood trauma. And we look deeper into Jeffrey Wolfgreen's work of evolutionary astrology and the idea that evil is seen through the archetype of Lucifer and much, much more. And um, yeah, so before we start as well, I want to give a, another shout out to our 14-week group coaching program, which is starting soon, December 26 until April 3rd. and. It is 14 14 weeks now. We've extended it to two weeks. That will be the 10th time we're doing this private group coaching program of um, psycho-spiritual work, really combining psychological work with in-depth spiritual inner work and combining the inner and outer work. And this program is definitely deep dive, where we also go into these topics we are covering here on our podcast in a much more depth with practical exercises and all kinds of tools You. Will need and use in, in this time of transition we're in right now and you can learn more about it and apply at thattimeoftransition.com. I have to say the course this round is already at the recording of this podcast 75% full. It might be 80-90% uh, full by the time of releasing this podcast so if you want to join go to thattimeoftransition.com read about it and apply. It's only limited to 35 people. Now, going back to this uh, episode of what facing evil can teach you. So the important thing to reflect on in this podcast is also, also for your own inner work is to face how the potential of evil may play out within you. That's really the core aspect because usually we only externalize evil. We see it out there, but big aspect of shadow work, Jungian, deeper inner shadow work, psychological work is also facing the potential for evil within us. This in itself can be or is a very humbling and confronting process. And you actually need to have the ego strength, like healthy ego strength to do that. An individual of solid ego strength strength approaches challenges with a sense that he or she can overcome the problem, even grow as a result. So that's really what you need to understand in light of what's happening in the world, and it's also my motto, so to speak. All there is a lesson. Everything can be a teaching function. And from a deeper spiritual esoteric perspective, they also understood that these evil forces provide a deeper teaching function. That's that we all need to learn in order to graduate, basically, to the next level in our evolutionary journey. So if you can face the evil within you, then you can contribute to the healing of evil in this world, to transmute it, to bring in the light. That's really what it is. And the more you understand the evil within you, the more you can face it externally. Now, with that being said, let's dive into it and go into the different definitions or aspects of evil.
1: Okay, so we're going to start with Steiner's uh, definition of evil. And he really talks about Araman and Lucifer, which are the fallen angels, so I'm just going to be honest. I'm not an anthroposophy scholar or expert in any way or form. I've studied it through my own um, psychospiritual studies. So I'm going to be reading actually a really great definition of it by Jeremy Smith, who's from the Anthropopper uh, website. So you can Google him. And he says, Steiner does not make a straight distinction between good on one hand and evil on the other. Instead, he has two poles of evil, which he calls Lucifer and Ahriman. And Steiner saw Lucifer and Ahriman as not only forces or tendencies which affect humankind and draws towards evil, but also as actual beings. So he's already getting into the occult aspect of it and he says unlike the Christ these forces can take up their abode in our astral bodies like similar to atico the seed of our desires and emotions and thus exercise a strong influence on us from within so there's spiritual forces that can basically take over us is what he's trying to say and he says lucifer encourage the tendency encourages the tendency in human beings towards expansiveness inflation egotism, sensuality, passion, and ungrounded spirituality.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting.
1: Lucifer is the being who tells us that we are like the gods, knowing both good and evil. Whereas Araman tells us that there is no God and that material reality is the only reality. So this is materialism and materialism is like, Trust is science, a church scientism, anything that you can't prove with scientific methods is not real. Like the soul spirit isn't real. This is the world we live in, actually. And then he goes on and he says, Araman represents tendencies towards contraction, reduction, splitting, materialism, Mm over-intellectualization, lying, and the denial of spiritual realities. This leads to the idea that we are only physical beings— Both of these beings also play a helpful role and are, in fact, indispensable for human life. As the first awakens us to our freedom, Lucifer, while the second helps provide us the capacity for speech and thinking, Araman. These two forces work in harmony at the present time, even though they appeal to different instincts within us. And he says the way to deal with these two poles of evil is to seek the balance in the middle, which is represented by Christ, your heart, your soul, in other language. However, because Araman can only work through the seed of our desires, but Christ can only work through our I, the real I, our individuality, this means the struggle is not an equal one. Our individuality has to so develop that it can, in time, learn to recognize and resist the many temptations offered by Lucifer and Araman. Christ provides the active plane of balance between the opposing forces of Lucifer coming from above and Araman coming from below. So, Christ is like the unifying center of the heart, actually. Uh, And so Lucifer appeals above all to our pride and ambition, making us think that we have no limitations. Yet he is also the being who set us out on our evolutionary path to freedom. But Lucifer does not want us to be truly conscious, nor to acquire an egohood independent of himself. And he goes on to continue, "'In our present age, Araman is a greater threat to us than Lucifer. "'He is infinitely clever and is helping us "'to develop our technological civilization. "'He wishes us to advance at breakneck spe- speed "'long before our individuality and moral nature "'are ready for such advances.'" He wishes to foreshorten our development so that we never reach our true goal, but only a false goal of enjo- false of enjoyment and endless material possessions.
0: So that's just a sorry to drop, but that's basically transhumanism in a nutshell. Right exactly.
1: There. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. And he says the scientists, the technologists, and the inventor are Ahriman's natural prey, but all of us can fall victim to his temptations. Mm-hmm. Wherever there is egoism and love of power, entry is made easy for him. That's the key point and Very it seems it seems possible to me that we're living he goes on to continue, we're living in the time of Araman's incarnation. Araman is the lord of death, and his will is to materialize human thinking into dead thinking to such an extent that the soul becomes fettered to the physical body and to an ever-materialized earth, effectively cutting human beings off from their spiritual home as an Ahrimanic form of mortality. This is nothing than the spiritual death. And then he ends, and he says something that we're going to talk about later as well, that the main things that we can do about this is work with prayer. And he says, prayer is the most important deterrent against the forces of evil in the world today. One person working with the light is able to offset a thousand working against it. Each of us, each one of us is asked daily to send our light to the spiritual hierarchies. Due to the escalating attacks, the angelic world needs more of our light energy to help alleviate the mounting stress and to assist in the affairs of humankind. And then secondly, he says, we have to wake up to what's going on and we have to keep ourselves informed about the nature of evil.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for summarizing. Very interesting. Um, you know, in a sense, it resembles um, these evil, occult, hostile forces similar to integral yoga perspective. Or a lot of it, we go deeper, way deeper in the second hour. But that these evil forces like Araman, his rights can work through the seed of desires, right? Or through our uh, own in mind, uh, so high, basically, evil forces take a hold of something within ourselves. It's not really out there, yeah. And it manifests through us. We have to really understand this from this bigger picture perspective. That the, you know, this personality we tend to identify with this ego is actually is an illusion in that sense because we are transducers of higher forces, higher energies, and it's all about what we align ourselves with. Like uh, what he mentioned, even Christ or divine higher light beings, or evil forces that can easily take a hold of us, usually through temptation and all kinds of desires. Even remember Sri Aurobindo talked, you know, the big three temptations of humanity are money, sex, and power. And instead of rejecting these three forces, we need to like save it or regain it from the hostile forces to bring it under the service of the divine. Yeah. Uh, and it's also interesting that he notes here that essentially, yeah, the only place that cannot be touched by evil is our true essence, our divine nature, or the real I.
1: Yeah. So we're constantly struggling to these two poles. The Luciferian pull tends to pull humans towards egotism, where like gods, like actually you see this in a lot of new age spirituality, where like I'm a light worker from
0: I'm a goddess. The, I, I,
1: yeah, from <laughs> like they create these um false spiritual images of themselves, yeah. you know. And then the materialism is more I see in the consensus, like we, we live in a culture philosophically of materialism. And I'm not just talking about thinking that the more objects you have, the happier, that's an aspect of it, but I'm talking about not acknowledging the existence of soul, essence, spirit, anything mm-hmm. beyond the five senses and like, this is the era that we're living. That's why the ultimate motto is trust the science, trust the experts, you know?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, in the sense the new age is Luciferian or many of the pop spiritual stuff, the idea that I am already God, I can do whatever I want. I can manifest anything. I can manifest anything. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Also the overestimation of the self. It's like a big ego trip.
1: Exactly. It's ungrounded spirituality. Exactly. Okay, so that's his mm-hmm. definition and just reflecting, you know, again, re- always reflecting on yourself like how do these show up, you know? It's very confronting to do it. I think about it a lot actually, you know, is I constantly see what's out in the world and I'm like, "Okay, how is this affecting me?" you know, and it's really important to have that self-reflection because it's really easy to go out there and be like this is what's going on in the world, and that can be an important point for you to understand the nature of your own projections, but then take that projection that you have towards the outer world and look at how it plays out within you. Okay, so we're going to go into Scott Peck's definition of evil from People of the Lie, and this Mm -hmm. is a bit different. So we're going to just offer all these various different perspectives. And in my view, they all actually hold some truth in it. And so in People of the Lie, Scott Peck says that some people are very resistant to help, to change, to becoming better people, basically. And he describes these people as evil, and he says evil is a specific type of narcissism. And just for context, you have to read the book to understand the whole context. This doesn't mean every narcissistic tendency person, which we all have, um, you know, has is, is demonstrating this evil, but we all have the capacity for it, you know? And he says, this is from Scott Peck, when I say that evil has to do with killing, I do not mean to restrict myself to corporeal murder. Evil is that which kills spirit. So that's the key thing. There are various essential attributes of life, particularly human life, such as sentience, mobility, awareness, growth, autonomy, and will. It is possible to kill or attempt to kill one of these attributes without actually destroying the body. Thus, we may, quote, break a horse or even a child without harming a hair on its head. And he says, Eric Fromm was acutely sensitive to this fact when he brought in the definition of necrophilia to include the desire of certain people to control others, to make them controllable, to foster their dependency, to discourage their capacity to think for themselves, to diminish their unpredictability and originality, and to keep them in line. And he distinguishes this necrophilic person from the biophilic person, one who appreciates and fosters a variety of life forms and the uniqueness of the individual. He demonstrated a necrophilic character type whose aim is it is to avoid the inconvenience of life by transforming others into obedient automatons, robbing them of their humanity. Evil then for the moment is the force residing inside or outside of human beings that seeks to kill life or liveliness and goodness is its opposite. Goodness is that which promotes life and liveliness. So I I know that can be a little bit hard to understand, so I'll just give a direct example. And I read the whole book, so I I understand what he's saying. He uses an example of parents who basically, you know, didn't support their son's childhood dreams in a sense, or like kind of just put him down, you know. So if you have a child and, you know, say the child is really into playing uh, soccer, but you don't want the child to be a soccer player. You don't, you think that like, you know, um, people who are athletes are dumb and you know there's better, more refined things to do. So you force that, ch- that child instead to play piano. In that moment, when you force the child to act against its own individuality and fit into the mold, you're killing the life spirit of that child, actually. You're not murdering it entirely but you're robbing them of their spirit instead of allowing them to follow their passions to learn soccer you're forcing them into do this so that's what he uses as an example of evil it's a very specific type of narcissism which doesn't actually appreciate the individual and wants to turn it into um you know their you know wants to make them controllable basically and it kills life in them so we're doing this all the time, you know. I think we're all guilty of this. Like in moments when someone shares their like hopes and dreams with us, and then our own jealousy and envy comes up, and then we just want to put them down because we aren't living up to our own dreams. You know, this is this happens all the time.
0: Well, that evil also obviously happens in public school, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm, of. Uh- mm-hmm. Uh, Just, you know, forming kids into a certain uh, idea of how they can can contribute to society, but not helping them to become free-thinking, creative individuals. Yeah,
1: the whole systems, like, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I think we do it all the time, you know, is like, we have to really try and look at people and seek out that seed of goodness as hard as it is. And actually, the, only, the best way to do that is to know the goodness in your own heart and soul first. And then it becomes much easier to identify it in other people.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, so before we go deeper to more definitions, understandings from different traditions and teachings, I really want to point out, because we see a lot of people are definitely, like I mentioned in the introduction, very overwhelmed with what's going on in the world. There's a lot of evil, a lot of it's coming to the surface, it's undeniable anymore, right? And many people uh, deal with it in different ways, different coping mechanisms, disassociations, even denial and all of that, which we can talk about later as well. But I see most of people trying to eradicate evil, trying to get rid of evil, right, externally by like, let arrest or punish the bad guys and all of that. Uh, but essentially that's actually a trap in itself if you don't understand the evolution of consciousness and the role of evil, so to speak, as part of the lesson process, as part of this dark age we're in right now, the Kali Yuga, as disturbing as it is. Um, but what we have done, we have basically also created a quote-unquote false duality. You see it even in the very dogmatic Christian religion of like, you know, as Christ, and then this Satan is this other independent personality almost, right? And it becomes very, how can I say materialistic based. It's it's very it's personified, almost projecting human qualities into God, into Christ or even Satan, you know, mm, without truly yeah. really understanding the the nuance and complexity, right?
1: We're gonna talk by the way, when we go into Carolyn Miss's thoughts about evil, she actually talks about dogmatic religion and how that contributes to it. And the, yeah.
0: That dogmatic religion itself is actually part of evil. Yes. <laughs> when you yes. talk about that, you yeah. know, with the self-righteousness and and all of that. Um but what I want to tie that into is because um, we also talk a lot about this in our courses. Comes up about its soul awakening. You know the the problem of evil. Sri Aurobindo talked about this in his work of Integral Yoga, and I want to share an excellent quote from his book, The Life Divine, um, the chapter on the origin and remedy of falsehood, error, wrong, and evil, and he really beautifully describes how the relation of truth to falsehood of good to evil is not a mutual dependence it means it's not a duality as we what we usually think of a duality like male and female left and right and all of that um, so that's very important to understand and uh, let me just read it f- um, from him and then we can comment on it okay so here he writes it is sometimes reasoned that as truth and good have their absolutes, so falsehood and evil must also have their absolutes. Or, if it is not so, then both must belong to the relativity only. Knowledge and ignorance, truth and falsehood, good and evil, exist only in relation to each other and beyond the dualities here, they have no existence. But the This is not the fundamental truth of the relation of these opposites. For, in the first place, falsehood and evil are, unlike truth and God, very clearly results of the ignorance and cannot exist where there is no ignorance. They cannot have uh, any self-existence in the divine being. They cannot be native elements to the supreme nature. If then the limited knowledge, which is the nature of ignorance, renounces its limitations, if ignorance disappears into knowledge, evil and falsehood can no longer endure. For both are fruits of unconsciousness and wrong consciousness. And if true or whole consciousness is there replacing ignorance, they have no longer any basis for their existence. So what it comes down to, basically what he writes uh, going further, is that there cannot be any absolute or falsehood. There is no absolute evil. No absolute of evil. These things are a byproduct of the world movement. The somber flowers of falsehood and suffering and evil have their root in the black soul of the inconscient, the collective unconscious. Again, of good and evil, it can be said that one exists by true consciousness, the other survives, survives only by wrong consciousness. If there is an unmixed true consciousness, good alone can exist. It is no longer mixed with evil or formed in its presence. Human values of good and evil, as of truth and error, are indeed uncertain and relative. What is held as truth in one place or time is held in another place or time to be error. What is regarded as good is elsewhere or another time regarded as evil. We find too that what we call evil results in good, what we call good results in evil. This relativity, this mixture of circumstance of human mentality and the workings of the cosmic force in human life, It is not the fundamental truth of good and evil, so that's also very important to understand. What we decide see as good or bad, good or evil, all of it is coming through on a subjective uh, perception that can change over time because we don't have the absolute vision of God and the divine. Yeah, right. That ties into also projections of what we think is good or evil.
1: Yeah, like the worst things that happen to you often end up being the best things that happen to you. Exactly,
0: because we don't see. And then he finishes up. Therefore, the relation of truth to falsehood, of good to evil, is not a mutual dependence, but it is the nature of a contradiction as of light and shadow. A shadow depends on the light for its existence, but light does not depend for its existence on the shadow. The relation between the absolute and these contraries of some of its fundamental aspects is not that they are opposite fundamental aspects of the absolute. No. Falsehood and evil have no fundamentally, fundamentality, no power of infinity or eternal being, no self-existence, even by latency in the self-existent, no authenticity of an original inheritance. So that's a key point, but that's what black-pilled people fall into. They think that evil is going to win and overtake the world and kill God and everything and we'll be in an absolute evil existence. But that goes against the truth because evil cannot exist by itself. And hence, we also understand And it's very important, hard to understand for the egoic mind, linear mindset, separative ego consciousness to understand that all is one, right? And there's always a seed of God, even in any evil we see, and nothing is completely evil. It cannot exist as an absolute.
1: Yeah, and I think it's really important to actually go through the deep psychological work to face what is happening in reality and the evil that you see directly without jumping to like oh but all is one you know like even though my dad abused me all is one like i i get that there's a larger spiritual lesson in these difficult experiences but you have to go through the journey to realize that on a soul level you can't just intellectualize it. Yeah, that's it's it's ironic, actually, because intellectualizing is another aspect of um, Steiner's model of evil.
0: That's, yeah, that's the Luciferian is basically <laughs> yeah, spiritual yeah. Bypass, yeah. and You can hold like this higher truth that all is one, there's only God, there's only love. Yeah. No, but that's where the paradox happens, and we still need to fight these forces of evil, the unconscious, the ignorance, as it calls us, the ignorance within ourselves.
1: Yeah, which is interesting, So, like, because you know, I hear this a lot from people, you know, that people can get very triggered when you talk about evil yeah. because it is it is a terrifying thought that there is real darkness that wishes to harm other people but when you listen to these quotes that I just read even the Scott Peck one you see the subtlety behind it actually yes. it's not like just these evil harsh murders like going and like setting fires and like dramatic you know satanic rituals and stuff this is everyday life this is like happening with your partner with your family at the grocery store on social media it's pretty exaggerated you know so and then and then and then so just to finish that off i see that the denial of evil actually is both luciferianism and aramonic because it's grounded in intellectualizing the process and it's ungrounded spirituality it's both of them
0: exactly Yeah. yeah so it's 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 a trap within one trap is trying to you know, get all negative, freak out, paranoid about evil in the world and trying to control the world and trying to eradicate evil externally yeah. by arresting what we think the bad guys, kill them all, the psychopaths until there's no evil. Like, yeah. that's just, you know, kind re- of e- ejected from reality. Right. Yeah. So that's one uh, extreme response, which is also based on illusion. And the other extreme is the spiritual bypass. Oh, All is one, everything is just going as opposed, so we don't need to do anything, just let it be.
1: Yeah, and I, right? and I have to say, you know, as someone, I have quite a bit of Scorpio placements. I have some pretty <laughs> dark experiences in my life. If you've listened to the uh, this podcast, you know. South Node and Scorpio, Pluto and Scorpio. I mean, if you have strong Pluto 8th house signatures, we could talk about the second hour. You know, Jeffrey Wolf Green talks about that as being correlated astrologically with confrontations with evil, basically. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and I've actually tried to spiritual bypass some of the things, some of the darker things that I've experienced, meaning deny, actually, being like, oh, it's all light, you know, only seeing the good side of experiences. But actually, I found that, you know, through my own inner work, through my own shadow work, through my own trauma and early childhood work, I've realized actually through facing the evil and seeing it for what it is directly, I've developed this very holistic perspective on the dark and the light where I'm not afraid of either, actually. And actually, the teaching function of evil for me as it did lead me to sincerely turn to God. And it lead, led me beyond the Aramonic materialism yeah. of the world. And I turned to the divine. So like, this is the paradox is like, if I were not, conf- I, I know in my own life, if I were not confronted with such intensity of darkness, I may have never gotten there. So, you know, there is this kind of hero's journey with the confrontation with evil that I think many of us yeah. are being called to take now, or maybe you've done it before.
0: And, and we still, you know, I see it in myself too, because in the past I've definitely had more a uh, very externalized black and white view of evil and good, mm-hmm. you know, projecting it onto the world. Yeah. And very, you know, so I I still, you know, and I think the deeper going to into inner work, especially you apply shadow work, trauma work, go into the spiritual domain and really do the work sincerely, First of all, you don't see just evil, you see the work needs to be done within, because as within, so without. We see the evil manifesting in the world because of our own ignorance, of our own unconsciousness, suppression, and we project it externally, yeah. or manifest unconsciously. We, we live, live in this illusion of separation. So I realized also then early on, okay, I need to face the darkness within myself, and darkness doesn't necessarily mean evil or bad, whatever is unconscious is not is dark, you know. Well, it from can be the way that you,
1: through your own unhealed trauma, can steal life from people like Scott Peck said.
0: Exactly. So I realize too, then I can see this nowadays if all this quote-unquote truth, truth of community and red pill people who just woke up and speak out and it's great, but I can see how their own trauma, their own shadow, they're projecting it onto the world, onto these evil people. Yes. With their own hate and anger, Yes. right? And you need to be able to point out what's going on in the world without projecting onto it but owning it within yourself, so to speak. So you don't become, again, Nietzsche's quote. The,
1: yeah, gaze into the <laughs> abyss. And yeah. The
0: abyss stares back to you that you become that, what you fight against. Because yeah, that's and how I, a tico works.
1: And I forget who said it, you know, but I like the 80-20 rule. Like, be 80% focused on how evil manifests within you. And that's a big project, by the way. That takes self-observation, self-awareness. It takes the growing of conscience, which starts in your heart and soul, you know, to recognize when it happens and, to st- and and also to be loving and forgiving when it does and to make amends. You know, that's the whole point is to allow yourself through your own consciousness, through the collective unconsciousness of the world to know that you may act this out sometimes through your own unconsciousness yeah. and to recognize it through conscience, forgive yourself and make amends. And through that, you'll realize, you know, like, wow, like, you know, we are our best teachers in that sense. You know, no one is going to catch you like your own self-awareness. So I think I'm going to go on the Carolyn Miss quote now. Is that okay? Yeah,
0: let me just, I want to just add one more thing. Yep. Real quick about this nuanced view because I want to give a real life example. For example, Elon Musk, you know, what's happening now on Twitter. He's freed free speech, right? All right, But everybody's still suspicious. People still see him. Excuse me, wolf in sheep clothing. He's a transhumanist, uh, atheist still. You know, he's also just announced... Advancement is Neuralink putting chips into hu- uh, human brains and all of that. Mm. And I used to have a very like this view of Elon Musk as well and others like very like okay, he's just a the Trojan horse, it's a wolf in sheep, sheep clothing, you know what I mean? He's distracting. But it has shifted. It has become more nuanced, right? It's not this black and white anymore because I realize also my own subjective blind spots. That I cannot see. I don't see with the eyes of the divine. I not. I have to have the humility to see that. You know, there's something bigger happening which needs to play itself out. And these um, judgments we have can easily come, I can say, from my own self, from my own trauma, from my own shadow projections and not really be truly objective, right? Yeah. So I want to just share this one little quote by Sapram before we go into... Carol Miss, okay. Um okay? It's a short one. He really summarizes it well as well. And he writes, can, the quote can be, again, challenging for the... Um, mind, so to speak, getting lost in paradoxes. But he writes, "...truth has nothing to do with thought or good deeds, though they these may be steps on the way. It has to do with the vastness of being, and the growth process is slow and difficult. But the mind, which only sees the present surface of things, seeks to trim off all the rough edges, purify by, purify by exclusion, and reduce its world to, to a uniform, righteous, and equitable truth." It decrees, this is good, this is bad, this is friendly, this is hostile. It might want to eliminate all the Nazis from the world, or all the Chinese, for instance, thinking they are quite unnecessary calamities. And the mind is right, by definition, since it is designed to be reasonable, and since it too expresses a mental or moral absolute that has its place and purpose. But it is not the whole truth. It is only a point of view. Some will say that our partiality, our mind, our morals are necessary instruments for living in the world as it is now. And this is true. We do need to be partial, but it is also why the world is not whole. Finally, this is why we lack power. Because if we possessed power, we would, with the best of intentions, precipitate a catastrophe through our ignorance and short-sightedness. But our shortcomings are necessary shortcomings. Not only does this divine consciousness capture all the points of view But also the deeper forces at work behind each thing, as well as the truth within each thing. It is a truth consciousness. And because it sees all, it automatically possesses power. But we are powerless because we do not see with this divine vision. To see and to see totally necessarily means to have power. But the supramental divine power does not obey our logic or morality. It sees far into space and time, and it does not do away with evil in order to save the good. Nor does it work through miracles it frees the good that is within the evil applying its force and light on the dark half so it consents to its luminous counterpart whenever it is applied the immediate effect is to touch off a crisis that is a place to place the shadow in front of its own light it's a stupendous evolutionary ferment and that's really what it is an evolutionary ferment that friction of dark versus light of evil versus good and really spiritualizing uh not only ourselves, but all of humanity in the world. And that is the whole process. In that sense, evil has its purpose because it provides the necessary friction for evolution.
1: Okay, so we're going to move in, lastly, to a quote by Carolyn Miss about evil from her audiobook about evil. And, you know, we're referencing several teachers because we really want you, if you're curious about this topic, check out these people's work, you know, Like the other day, I had to look look up the definition of gatekeeping, actually, because I didn't know what it meant. Mm -hmm. And gatekeeping is actually preventing people from finding the original source of what you're talking about. And that's not what oh, wow. we want to do on the podcast, actually. We want to be like, hey, check out this book. Check out this book. Like, you know, like even Bernhard's articles, he freely sources everything because this is like we're, we're opening all these threads. And if you find something interesting, like go off on your own journey and contemplate and read and reflect. Um, so, Carolyn Miss has this really great audiobook about evil. You can download it yourself. And she talks about how it works through spirituality. And then she talks about differentiating between what is evil and what is bad, and then the teaching function. So, I'm going to go into um, those concepts. And she says, she begins by saying, This is this moment in time where our collective darkness and darkness as a force has reached the alarm stage. And our capacity to generate light, to utilize our light, to rely on the light, to reach for the light is at its weakest. And, he, and she says that one of the ways that evil engages in us is to make you cling to something that Buddha would say is an illusion. And you would die for that illusion, no matter any amount of proof that is put in front of you. Because that illusion gives you access to what is spiritually known as the seven deadly sins, pride, pride perhaps your anger, or it allows you to maintain a position that you know is not the truth, but it gives you power over human beings in some way. One of the creeds of these religions is separatism. You must be part of us because our God is better than your God and we have the only God. Now, a realization I came to through my work as a medical intuitive, and this is what brought me into the deep love of mysticism, which I believe is about organic spirituality, organic divinity, um, The bio-spiritual environment that's in our body runs on the laws of the universe. What is one in the whole? Basically, like a holistic mindset is what she's talking about. And she says, now put that next to a religious teaching that says you have to be better than other people. The fundamental teachings of these religions are in collision with what your soul knows to be the truth of what your soul on how to maintain psychic emotional well-being. The belief that you have to be better than someone, that you are better than someone, that you are superior is actually so toxic that it begins to disintegrate your immune system and is also toxic to belong to a religion that says... That's what God wants you to do, like be better than other people. So Mm -hmm. the time has come as we become a global community that these teachings have to dissolve, and the mystical jewels of Judaism, Christianity, Islam, the Sufi traditions, these are what we will take with us. So she's talking about the esoteric meanings of these religions need to be taken with us, but we have to let the political packaging of these teachings burn as it should. Um, and she says these, all these teachings point to the same mystical truth, that we're one, we're governed by the same one, what we do to one, we do to everything. Um, and I owe it to you to face my darkness now more than, uh, now than, more than ever, because one of the truths is getting revealed to us is that we are all one. And the power of darkness is not offset by bombs, bullets, but by the power of light within us. And in order to do that, and of this I'm convinced, we really have to understand the nature of evil. We have to understand its insidious ways. We have to recognize the whole meaning of lead us what leading lead us into temptation means. Doesn't mean you're being tempted with sexuality down an alleyway. What it really means in the subtle world of our inner psyche is the way we talk to ourselves, the way we encourage self-pity in ourselves instead of discourage it, the way we play into our wounds instead of our strengths. So she's defining this as evil. Mm -hmm. These are the choices we make, and we could easily play into our strengths. That's why we pray, God, give me the grace to do this. Give me a little backbone here. One good prayer can push you over, but in order to really know your light, you have to recognize this darkness. And she really says it. This is released also right before the pandemic, by the way. Now, more than ever, it is not enough to think that things are going to go away and take care of themselves. They're not. And if you're alive now, you're journeying through this incredible, pivotal transformation. This era is unlike anything before. You're here because you have a purpose to be here and you're part of this and you're needed. Your soul is needed, which means your choices matter. And part of that choice is I've got to become conscious of what my dark side does as well as my light. And very few people, in fact, I can't think of one in my whole career as a teacher, no one has ever come to me and said, I'm in your workshop so I can understand my darkness and the power of that, the power of my dark choices they'll spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in therapy to understand how other people's dark choices have gutted them, but not their own. Mm. And you know what? That's part of how darkness works by telling you it's never your fault. Nothing's mm. ever you fa- ever your fault. Mm-hmm. Um, we're always off the hook because nothing would serve darkness more than to keep everybody in that child state of mind.
0: Can I just comment on some of the things yes. you mentioned before you go on? Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, it's very good. So interesting, I like our definition of temptation, the way I understand it. Temptation, we always think like of the obvious ones, seven deadly sins mm-hmm. or greed, sex, power, and all of that, right? Yeah. The temptation of the Christ, you know, and yeah. then the sins, and, and how it has been completely, um, you know, distorted, especially in dogmatic Christian religions and all of that. But temptation, in the way she described, is being tempted almost by, the, by your false self, yes. by your wounds, by f- uh, keeping telling the lies, you tell yourself exactly. by externalizing, by uh, uh, um, blaming others, by not taking self responsibility. Right? Exactly. We see that. We see many people I like can uh, over the years I've worked with as well. But a lot of people sometimes. Exactly what she says. They they want they want the way they try to heal is by finding, and story that explains why they have suffered so they can justify it or blame somebody else. They can else. blame
1: someone. Yeah. Exactly. And this Be is it the
0: system or... The parents, the, the, the poverty, scarcity, consciousness, and this and that, or their parents, or their acts as a narcissist, psychopath, or even like the, the, the fringe uh occult knowledge I get into, oh, it's a love bite, it's an entity, something needs to be blamed externally.
1: Yeah, and that's the whole thing, you know, that I think if you've experienced childhood trauma and difficult childhood experiences... You know, number one, it's very psychologically confronting to first recognize the harm that was done to you, to recognize that your parents were not the perfect gods that you thought they were. And then to really emotionally process the grief around that experience. But the last part actually, and the closing part, is to recognize how those patterns continue on within you in some way. And it doesn't mean it's black and white. Like, my mom was like this. means I'm like this. Like, your mom could have actually put you down to the point where you don't recognize your light anymore, and that's a continuation of her evil, you know? So you want to constantly look at, like, how it can kind of pervert and distort itself in all sorts of ways, like she said, Okay, so kind of, I'm going to go on and talk, because she has also a really good paragraph about the difference between evil and what is bad, actually.
0: Mm-hmm. Go
1: ahead. so uh, And I found this very interesting. And she says, there is a difference between what is evil and what is bad. And it's in the consciousness, in the intent. What mm-hmm. is the journey of consciousness all about, but to become aware? Evil is about what you knew, but you did otherwise. That actually uh, also collaborates with what Scott Peck says in People of the Lie, by the way, is that people know what the right thing to do is, and then they don't do it.
0: That's that's, that's a great definition of evil right Yes, there. Yeah. exactly.
1: And then she says, this is not okay, but my but my own will, I am choosing to do it anyway— Now we are getting into evil. There's bad, there's stupid, there's you got to be kidding me. But then there's the engagement of choice and consciousness. And there's a reason why we have the word sin. But one of the reasons I feel that I think that evil has been unleashed, and one of the ways that evil is off the leash, is because the ways we've been traditionally been taught to be aware of evil. So to protect ourselves, speak of it, respect it, all of those are gone. So all of the safeguards around evil are gone. And in these last 50 years, we've decided we don't need the protection of praying anymore. We don't need the protection of grace. We don't need the protection of inner work at the depth that really protects a person uh, from awareness of their own actions and awareness of that I'm in the presence of evil or I'm tampering the dark, which that's what awareness brings. To recognize what I am doing with these people, I'm leading myself into temptation. This kind of astute awareness comes with self-reflection and contemplation where you say to yourself, why do I want to be with that person? What made me compromise my integrity today? Why did you say yes when you meant no? And then you slowly realize um, that you, when you compromise yourself, that's how evil gets in. Mm-hmm. But we don't have these practices. We changed our language. We don't even okay. say the word conscience anymore. Mm-hmm. We use the word consciousness. It means nothing. There's no connection to the sacred. When we say conscience, we never say conscious, we never, conscience, we never use these words. Kids are not taught these words. They are not taught how to recognize a moral or ethical crisis. They're not taught to speak from this place. And they're not given words like sin to recognize what sin is. And she says, what is a sin? A sin is when you knowingly make a choice that you know the outcome is going to hurt someone or they're going to pay for something you did. And you know that and it doesn't stop you. It's totally okay with you. That act of consciousness that is okay for you to make a choice that will in some way harm the life of another person and doesn't stop you makes that a sin. Because we no longer have these words is that we think we're too intelligent, we don't need it. We think we've evolved past this archaic, dusty language. But we have to dismantle the word conscience so we can understand the crimes that we're doing, basically. So Mm -hmm. she, she brings it down. It's conscience. It's like... And if you don't have a connection to conscience, listen to the healthy shame episode because we really go into that. You have to have
0: a connection. In order to have a connection to conscience, you have to have a connection to healthy shame and healthy guilt. That's kind of your... Your compass,
1: yeah, because right. so the because the shame either creates a luciferianism, egotism, where like I'm the best, nothing can ever touch me, or it can create the uh, the materialistic, the 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 uh, the other side of the equation, yeah. you know.
0: Keep in mind, full blown psychopaths have no shame, no guilt, and no conscience. Yes, exactly. But, but not- I
1: would have to say, you know, that's still a small percentage of the population, and because we live in this almost like psychopathic. Reality at times, you know, you just go on social media, see how nasty no, people no. are to each we, other, you That know? reminds
0: me of the book, um, I forgot the title, uh, Lobachevsky, about uh, political Ponerology ponderology is Latin, it means the science, the study of evil, the, the science of evil. And mm. this whole book is about psychopathy. And he said, we live in a world where the, our uh, culture society has become pornorized, similar to what Krishna said. We live in a world where pathologies have become normalized. Why? Because the world is, quote-unquote, ruled by the top uh, 4 or 5% who are full-blown genetic psychopaths and they have installed psychopathic values into mm, the world through mm-hmm. culture, f- through entertainment, through, through materialism, education. materialism, actually. And materialism in itself and atheism and all of that. Yeah. But one thing I wanted to uh, uh, point out, uh, on is something you read. Can you remind me? She said something, uh, evil comes in where we compromise ourselves, something like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, she basically talks about how we re- removed these safeguards of evil. And one of the ways that shows up is like, you know, we need to have that awareness with self-reflection and cont- contemplation, so we can say to ourselves, "Where did I compromise my integrity today? When did you say yes when you When did you say yes when you meant no?" And then you realize when you slowly compromise yourself, that's how evil gets in.
0: Yeah, and that's the best example of what happened over the past three years. People have compromised their integrity; they said yes to something. Uh, that needs to be a strong boundary, be it with the medical treatment, be it with all the lies we've been told over the past three years, the lockdowns, and all of that that's been happening. That's how evil took over, by the consent. They yeah. have to understand, as a universal law, by people consenting to it, and then it, it just takes them over more and more. And then they start even to police each other and all of that, but people have compromised their integrity. Yeah, also I- via, yes, via manipulation, via conditioning, brainwashing, fear, propaganda, and all of that, but still... That's where the entry point was.
1: And I think one way I saw it show up is that I knew people who worked in the field that I worked in, who knew that was going on, who knew that the vaccine was unsafe Mm. and didn't say anything. And that was like, according to these definitions, it was an aspect of evil, you know, because like, how could you not if you know what could potentially happen? So. I'm just going to close off because she has a really good way of um, reflecting on how evil shows up in our our lives. And she says that one of the laws of the universe is that darkness is attracted to light and light is attracted to darkness. They need each other. They feed off each other, which is why the, all the great teachers have said, as you develop your light, you must pray because you will be tested and tempted. Mm. This is not a myth. This is a truth. The stronger you make your inner life, Nothing becomes easier, but it becomes more majestic. It should fill you with awe as you see playing out before you everything the great teachers told you would happen. And if the darkness comes, you can say, I was expecting you, but I'm prepared to know exactly how this is going to work. And evil evaporates when you do not negotiate your soul. That's the key thing Mm -hmm. is like. That's, I mean, we we say it in our course, embodied soul awakening is we're just trying to bring people's hearts and souls back online because that's the ultimate inner compass. And then she says some questions to reflect on for yourself. At the end of the day, is earth better or do people have to clean up after you? Darkness wants you to become unconscious. So you need to make the decision. Decide the worse it gets, the more conscious I'm going to get the more difficult, the more clear, because evil wants us to be ill, to be the weakest versions of ourselves. Darkness leads to self-loathing of knowing, I've just lied to myself. Eventually, you need to keep silencing that voice, and that's where addiction comes in. Darkness makes you think that everybody else is at fault but you. If everybody else is at fault, then you can feel sorry for yourself and sabotage your life. And then she says, to close it off, Darkness it ties in what you said earlier too, darkness' favorite word is blame and deserve. Pay mm-hmm. attention to when you say you blame or you say I deserve, because that's a favorite vocabulary of your dark side.
0: Yeah, that's entitlement as well, right? Yeah. The narcissism is a form of evil, and you see it like that. Well, that's a very great quote. I mean, again, uh, we at the end of the first hour. Really what I want to bring down, the reason why we also um, shared so many different Quotes or perspectives from different teachings and teachers and uh, traditions is really to understand that you know we have still this what I call this kind of childish idea of 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 evil. I've written about this before. We're like little kids playing in in the in the sandbox or sandcastles i want to just astr- <laughs> you know trying to get rid of evil and all of that externally but we need to understand the evolutionary function of even how evil operates not just out there but how easily and subtly in our own lives and then it takes literally it's kind of um, like the butterfly effect or um it kind of becomes it gets worse over time so to speak because one little lie becomes a big lie and once we betray ourselves or out of integrity, then uh, we keep doing it or we compare ourselves to others. We do it because other people are doing it. You know, the group a consciousness, the hive mind, is actually an aspect of evil in a sense or can overtake a, can overtake a whole group. Which, There's
1: definitely collective evil, for sure. Yeah. Exactly,
0: which Paul Levy talks about in Vatika and all that. Um, so the key work is really going back to the inner work, right? That's why it is so important in all the traditions, um, Teachings talk about it. This, especially nowadays, the psychological and spiritual work going together. So you don't you don't fall into Luciferian trap of spiritual bypassing and and abusing spiritual truths and all of that. And especially nowadays, understanding the trauma work, the shadow work, because through these entry points, that is where evil enters, right? And when I say not staying in in victim. Blame consciousness. Yeah, a lot of horrible things have happened to people, even to you, and it needs to be acknowledged, but it's important not to get stuck in there, right? But to heal it, but to transmute it so we become not that, um, what we fight against, and also cut ancestral trauma or family trauma so we get out of this loop of hurt people hurt people, because wounded people have been hurt and haven't healed themselves other people
1: and the key thing to that you know when you say transmute you have to grieve the losses of that inner child because the grief turns to depression which turns to anger which turns Mm. to evil actually so there's like this kind of succession of how which we're going to get in the second hour have how childhood childhood trauma can turn to evil i mean we're going to talk about a whole bunch of things we're also going to talk about the occult perspective and evil very popular topic. Um, Jeffrey Wolf Green has a very interesting topic about Lucifer and the way uh, and with the way that evil plays out in that. So we're going to go much deeper into the second hour. So if you want to join us, um, you're going to go to veilofreality.com and there's a click link to click on the membership. And then you have access to, I think it's definitely nearing 100 hours of second hour content for every podcast. And we often talk about topics, which we have to be careful talking about on the first hour and the second hour. So if you want to join us, go to veilofreality.com, click on membership, and you can become a member.
0: With that being said, see you all in the second hour. Thanks for listening.